All right, you can finish up those conversations. If your answer to the question wasn't all pests are troublesome, something wrong. Well, welcome once again to Mill City. My name's Ashish. It's a joy to be here and to continue our series on Mark together. But before we dive into that, would you join me? Let's just pray to start our time, and then we'll dive into Mark. Jesus, we are grateful for you. We thank you that you are our firm foundation. Jesus, we thank you that you're our God who invites us to place our trust in you. And so, Jesus, as we take these next few moments to just slow down and listen to you, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our ears to hear what you want us to hear. And Jesus, would you give us the courage to respond? Jesus, thank you that you're a God who invites us into your presence. We thank you that your presence is here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so a couple of years ago, my wife Ann and I moved into a duplex in northeast Minneapolis. And one day I was taking a nap, but I was abruptly woken up by a scream. And I opened my eyes just in time to see Anna fly over me to the other side of the bed. Now, I was a little foggy, but all fogginess went away with one word. Mouse. <laughs> it turns out that... Two feet away from our bed, there was this little but plump mouse. And he saw us at the same time that we saw him. And now all three of us were frozen, kind of asking, well, now what do we do? Because here's the thing. I can kill spiders all day long, but I draw the line at mice. Anna has also drawn her line at having a mouse in the house. And so both of us were looking at each other, wondering who is going to be the adult in the room and figure out the situation. <laughs> Meanwhile, our friend is just sitting there looking at us. Now, we tried to think, okay, what do we have that can possibly solve the situation? And all we could come up with was in the kitchen, there was a broom and a cardboard box that might be helpful. And so while Anna looked at the mouse, I snuck over to the kitchen, and I grabbed the broom and the cardboard box, and I brought it back. And then Anna took the cardboard box and just held it by the mouse. And I took the broom, and I ran up and hit the mouse. And right into the box, she closed the box, she ran outside, she threw it out. We made it in the midst of an overwhelming situation. Thank you, thank you with but a broom and a cardboard box in our hands. Now, maybe you aren't facing off against a mouse, but have you been in a situation where it felt like the task you were called to was greater than the resources that you held in your hand? Maybe that's physically or metaphorically. Maybe it was an interpersonal situation. A relationship with a friend, a coworker, or family member where you need wisdom on next steps, but right now you don't know where to begin. Or maybe it's at work. You know that God has invited you to care for those patients and students, but wow, is that exhausting. Or you're dealing with deadlines or expectations, but the resources have been taken from you and everyone is looking at you to be the adult in the room. 
And that's a lot. Or maybe it's a systemic issue that you feel God inviting you into. You see the housing issues in our city, or you hear about food insecurity for children over the weekend. And you know that God is inviting you to step towards this injustice and this brokenness and sometimes the grief of this world. But when you look at what you bring to the table, the mission in front of you seems so overwhelming. Now we all have faced or will face situations like this. Places where we know that God is inviting us to join in, but in the face of such a great mission, all we can seem to find is a broom and a cardboard box. We feel so ill-equipped to handle what's in front of us. Now in our passage today, we find the disciples in a similar predicament. The task in front of them seems impossible. And in the midst of what seems impossible, Jesus actually doesn't tell them, go take a break. But Jesus actually gives them another challenging invitation. And so as we dig into our passage today, I wonder what Jesus might be saying to you and me as we continue to walk the way of Jesus. And so let's dive in. We're continuing our series in Mark, uh, where we're exploring what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. A disciple is someone who loves God, lives like Jesus, and is led by the Spirit. Now this morning we'll be in Mark chapter 6, verses 32 to 44. So if you have a Bible or app, you can turn there with me. Otherwise, as always, it'll be on the screen. Now last week we talked about how the disciples were called and commissioned and sent with Jesus' authority to share and bring the good news of the kingdom of God. And we read that many people were healed and set free. And so where we pick up in our passage this morning, the disciples have come back to Jesus and are reporting everything that happened. Now, this whole thing that happened was really busy. So Mark adds in this detail that the disciples didn't even have a chance to eat. And so Jesus knows that it has been a tiring few days for his disciples. So he invites his disciples to go and take a moment of retreat or a moment of rest. But the retreat weekend hits a snag almost immediately. And so we'll pick up in verse 32. So this is what Mark says. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many on foot from all the towns got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we going to go spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? You can sense they are hungry and angry. You can, we call that hangry in this moment. I, I feel like that's what the disciples are at this moment. But Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, 
he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Now to the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. What a miracle, right? It says 5,000 men ate, which is not including the thousands of women and children, all from that five loaves and two fish. Now, this is an incredible story of God's provision. And while the miracle is amazing, I believe the focus of the chapter is less about the bread and actually about the kind of leader that Jesus is. And not just the kind of leader that Jesus is, but the way that he invites the disciples to respond to him as their leader. Right at the beginning of that passage in verse 34, Mark writes that Jesus had compassion on the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now maybe you've heard this picture of a shepherd before. Now the title of shepherd was used throughout the Old Testament to refer to the leaders or the kings of Israel. Now what becomes abundantly clear in the story of God is that while there are some okay shepherds, all the human leaders eventually fail. And lead to them hurting themselves and those they were called to serve. And so in the midst of that brokenness, the Old Testament prophets look forward to the ultimate leader or shepherd. The one who will rule with justice and with peace. The one who would lift up the people that he was serving instead of push them down in their search for power. And in this passage, Mark uses this title of shepherd to point to Jesus. Because Mark knows that Jesus, God in the flesh, is the true shepherd, the true leader that the people were longing for. That Jesus is the true leader that the people needed and that we need today. But what kind of leader is Jesus? Well, this passage highlights a few things. First, this passage shows us that Jesus is a leader who pauses and is present. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Mark chapter 5, where Jesus heals the woman and raises this little girl from the dead. And we talked about how Jesus pauses and is present in the desperation, the doubt, and even death. Now here, Mark continues to show Jesus as one who pauses and is present. In the midst of the planned retreat, when they had everything laid out, what does Jesus do? Now, have you ever been to a grocery store or mall when you see someone you don't really want to see? Like, what do you do? Sometimes it's putting your head down and running into a different aisle. Sometimes it's looking at your phone and pretending to text someone. I actually ran behind a Christmas tree once in order to avoid someone that I wasn't really wanting to see in that moment. But what does Jesus do? <laughs> what does Jesus do when the crowd show up? Jesus doesn't put his head down and run away. Jesus pauses and is present because that's the kind of leader that Jesus is. What I love is that Jesus lives an interruptible life. He's so focused on where God is moving so that he can join in. And he doesn't just pause, but it says that he had compassion on them. Not just a surface level feeling, but the Greek word compassion refers to feeling something so deeply you feel it in your gut. 
Jesus sees the people in need. People longing for a leader to heal them and set them free. And Jesus stops and has compassion. Jesus pauses and is present. Second, this passage reminds us that Jesus is a leader who provides. If we skip to the end, Jesus takes the bread. He gives thanks and breaks it. And the rest is history. The text says that 5,000 men were fed. And some scholars think that, including the women and children, this was around 10 to 20,000 people that were fed off of these five loaves and two fish. Now, one detail I love in Mark is it says that Jesus had them sit in groups on green grass. Now, some commentators think that this is Mark's reference to Psalm 23, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He leads me to quiet waters. He leads me to green pastures. And what does Jesus, the true shepherd, do here? He leads the people to green grass. And he provides exactly what these people were longing for, what these people needed. And it's not just the people. Remember, the disciples that needed to eat, Jesus provides for them as well. There were 12 basketfuls of bread and fish left over. Jesus is a leader who abundantly provides. So throughout his life and in this passage, we see that Jesus is a leader who pauses and is present. And a leader who provides. But there's a third quality of Jesus that I think is just the meat of this section. No pun intended with the fish there. That yes, Jesus is present. Yes, Jesus will eventually provide. But right in the middle, one of the most amazing things about Jesus is that Jesus is a leader who invites the disciples to participate in God's mission. It says it was getting late in the evening, and so the disciples approached Jesus with a sound plan. Send the people away to go and buy some food. Remember, the disciples also haven't eaten at this point. And I'm sure they admired Jesus for stopping and having compassion on the people. But now is the time for them to continue on with their weekend, so let's send the people away to go and find some food. But Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Now, at this point, I imagine the panic set in. The quick glances at each other wondering, well, now what do we do? And I just imagine the exhaustion and the annoyance in their voices when they say, that would take more than half a year's wages. In other words, Jesus, what you're asking is impossible. Buy something to eat I haven't eaten, and now you want me to feed thousands of people? Jesus, don't you see us in this moment? Have you ever asked those questions? I know I have. Have you ever faced a situation that is so confusing that you don't even know where to begin? Where you know that God has placed you somewhere, but the road ahead seems overwhelming. And you're like, Jesus, I'm out here trying. But what you're asking is impossible. But notice how Jesus doesn't rebuke them for asking the question. Because God can handle our frustration and our confusion. God actually invites us to bring that to him. But Jesus is present even in that and helps the disciples walk through and think through the situation. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Jesus knew what he was going to do. In John's account of this miracle, it says that Jesus asked the disciples where they could feed so many people only to test them. 
He knew he was going to provide for the people, but this was not just about providing for the people. Jesus isn't a teacher who says, well, you stay over there and watch me. You kind of hang in the corner. Jesus is one who invites his followers to participate. First, they were invited to participate by stepping forward in obedience. To go and see. To bring what they had and join the work that Jesus is doing. And they show up with five loaves and two fish. I like to imagine how one of the disciples brought five loaves to Jesus, but then the rule follower in the back was like, hey, we actually have two fish as well, and we got to bring them too as well to Jesus. But the five loaves and two fish was still a far cry from what the situation demanded. And when they looked down at their hands, I'm sure the situation seemed hopeless. But that wasn't the only way that Jesus invited the disciples to participate. Because Jesus also invited them to participate by placing their trust in him. To place their trust, they had to place their trust in the hands that they were placing the bread and the fish. They had to place their trust in the one who had raised the dead, who had just calmed the water, and who had cast out the demons, the one who had given them authority to heal and join him in the work of setting people free. Now this was not the first time. And what we'll see next week is it's not the last time that Jesus asks the disciples to trust him even more. But let's talk about trust for a second. Because often when I think of this concept of trusting God, I think of trust falls. You know, where you kind of stand backwards, you cross your hands over your chest, and you fall back, kind of hoping that someone is going to catch you. Now, what my siblings and I would do is we'd try to step lower and lower and try to catch the other person, and it would often end up with all of us on the floor and usually one of us crying. <laughs> but trust in that instance involved a lot of unknown and a lot of fear, just kind of hoping that the person behind you is going to catch you. But I think a, a better picture of trusting God actually comes from my swimming lessons as a kid where the lessons would always end with this invitation to jump off the diving board, which was my nightmare. Because not only am I afraid of heights, but I am afraid of drowning. And so this was just like a really big mess. But what would happen was I would step to the edge of the diving board, and my teacher would be in the water. And she would be treading water, and with arms outstretched, she'd say, Ashish, jump, I'll catch you. Jump to me, jump to me, I'll catch you. And so after she'd be like teaching me and training me on what to do and they'd like surround me with all these noodles so that I could just jump in and not be afraid. <laughs> you know what? She'd catch me. The trust in that moment still involved a lot of unknown. There was still a lot of fear that I had to overcome. But instead of blindly falling backwards hoping my teacher was actually standing there, I was stepping to words where my teacher actually was because my teacher had gone before me. I could dive in where my teacher was already swimming. Trust involves so much unknown. And I'm sure the disciples brought the bread and the fish with a lot of confusion and worry. But time and time again in scripture, we're reminded that we serve a good shepherd or a leader in Jesus who goes before us who is already in the places where he is inviting us. And with arms open, he invites us to step forward and place our trust in him. 
The disciples couldn't hang back. They had to step forward because trust isn't passive. It's active. They had to actively place their trust in the one who had the power to take what they had, which was enough, and do the impossible. And we see Jesus does just that. Yes, the story involves food, but it's about the leader that Jesus is. That Jesus is a leader who is pauses and is present. That Jesus is a leader who provides. And that Jesus is a leader who invites us to participate in God's mission. So what does that mean for us today? Now, we might not face a situation as overwhelming as feeding 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. I'm not going to promise you aren't, but that might not be your story. But aren't there times where we can feel like the disciples? Where we believe that Jesus has invited us to join him, but at first glance, and sometimes second and third, the situation in front of us seems impossible to respond to with what's in our hands. Maybe you feel like this when you look at our city. You feel God inviting you to do something about the housing crisis or to fight for educational equity for your students, but right now you're thinking, well, where do I even begin? How does that even start? Or maybe you sense God's invitation at work to shift a culture you know is wrong or to advocate for those who go unnoticed, to care for a patient who is so hard to love or just pray for a coworker but you don't feel like you have the right tools or the words to start that conversation. Or maybe it's in your relationships. You have a friend struggling with mental health, and you're unsure of how to show up for them. Or someone you love deeply has decided that they're done following Jesus. And now you're thinking, well, how do I show up with this really important part of my life, and how do I meet them there? Or maybe you're a parent trying to figure out how in the world do I disciple my kids in a world where there are all these voices vying for their attention, and not just their attention, but my attention daily. You look at the situation in front of you, and you're praying, Jesus, this task is impossible. Now, living the way of Jesus is going to lead us through some moments where we can't do things in our own strength. And in those moments where we feel like our strength has run out, I believe we're invited to follow Jesus' invitation to the disciples. And it's our invitation this morning. If we're followers of Jesus every day, we are invited to bring what we have and place our trust in Jesus. So let's unpack that. First, Jesus invites us to bring what we have. Now, this is a call to obedience. But obedience can feel tricky because sometimes obedience can feel like this burdensome expectation. But this is not a burdensome expectation, but rather an invitation to walk with expectancy. This is an invitation to go and see, to join where God is at work. To not stand back, but actually step forward to where God is moving. And so when you look at your life and you look at the places that God has called and commissioned and sent you, because he has called and commissioned and sent all of us, what is one thing that Jesus is inviting you to bring? Jesus invited the disciples to join him by bringing what was in their hands. And so when you look this morning, what is in your hands? Is there something God has given you or even the person that God has made you to be? 
Maybe it is that person God has made you to be. God has gifted you with the ability to listen, to host spaces to help people feel safe and known, to show up, to lead, to create, to practice, to imagine, to think practically and organize. Maybe it's the person that God has made you to be. Is that what's in your hands? Or maybe it's a resource God has given you. The disciples had five loaves and two fish. God had provided that for them. So in the same way, is there a resource that God has given you that Jesus is inviting you to bring? Maybe it's a backyard. Maybe it's a business. Maybe it's something as simple as a board game and showing up to someone's house. And maybe it's your time. I've been on the receiving end of so many friends and family who have generously shown God's love for me through their time. So is there one thing Jesus is inviting you to bring? Now, two things I have to mention about that. First, maybe you look at your hands, and you look and you're like, Ashish, my hands are calloused and worn and tired. And if I'm asking this question, what can I bring to the table? If I'm honest, I can't even make it to the table. I'm exhausted. I know I've been there. Or maybe you look at your hands and you think, who I am, what I have, it isn't worth it. You look at all the professional followers of Jesus. They're the ones that have the great stories. They're the ones that have the great pictures. God can just use them. I'll just sit on the bench. I know that's a lie that I've believed in my life. And as I was thinking through this message, I think one of the things that Jesus wanted me to say is that what you have in your hands is enough. That Jesus loves you, that Jesus sees you, and that he doesn't relegate anyone to the sidelines. No matter who we are, no matter what we bring, no matter where we come from, Jesus invites all of us to bring our lives to him and place our trust in who he is. And that brings us to our second question. What is one area that Jesus is inviting you to trust him? To trust the character of God. These two go hand in hand. We can't just bring what we have without clinging to who Jesus is. Because our resources aren't going to solve the problem alone. And if we place our trust in just what is in our hands, that's going to be so discouraging. But what we can do is bring what's in our hands and place our trust in the good shepherd who has already gone before us. The good shepherd who is with us in the green pastures and the calm waters and also goes before us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death or if we're in a table surrounded by our enemies. Now, I love how Mark specifically talks about Jesus having compassion on the people because Jesus cared for the crowd more than the disciples could ever dream of. And even now, as you're following God at work, in your schools, in your families, Remember, Jesus cares about the people in your lives more than you could ever know. And so we place our trust in him. We don't fall back blindly, but we take a step forward and dive in where God is already moving. So is there an area, a relationship, a situation in your life that Jesus is inviting you to trust him? Now here's the cool part. When we participate in what God is doing, not only does God transform the people around us, but we open up our lives to be transformed as well. For our faith to be strengthened, to be energized, to keep joining what God is doing. 
We see in Mark how the disciples are continually invited to place their trust in God. And they do it imperfectly. They are confused along the way. But Jesus meets them exactly where they are. And at the end of Mark, we see that the disciples are dramatically different than when they started. They have been transformed by Jesus' love. When we bring what we have and trust God, we will leave changed. I think of this picture of training for a marathon, something that some of you did this past month. Now, the first two-mile run is brutal. I know when I trained, I was gasping for air. But as I kept training, I saw the muscles and my lungs start to strengthen, which helped me run further. And so in the same way, when we bring the little we have and trust God, I know the Spirit starts to grow these muscles of trust, grow these muscles of faith that allow us to keep discerning where the Spirit is moving and join in there. Now, there will be moments of pain and stretching. That's part of the way of Jesus. But we trust a God who is with us even there and will love us through it. Now, one of the songs we'll sing over communion, a practice of remembering that we can place our trust in God, says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And so as we sing this song this morning, I'd encourage you to think of these two questions. What is one thing, when I look at my hands, what is one thing Jesus is inviting me to bring? And in what is one way that Jesus is inviting me to trust him? I'm going to invite the band up. Would you join me? Let's pray as we step into our time together. Jesus, I thank you that you are a God who is with us. Jesus, I thank you that in the moments of peace or in the moments of chaos that your love is steadfast. And Jesus, I thank you that you love us enough to invite us to participate in what you're doing. You've empowered us to do that. And so Jesus, in these next few moments as we celebrate communion, as we go through the next few time of music and prayer, Jesus, I pray that you would reveal these answers to us. What is one thing that we are invited to bring? And what is one way we are invited to trust you? So Jesus, we thank you for your presence here this morning. Would you continue to guide us as we worship you? In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.